Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Voxology Podcast. My name is Mike, and this is my friend. And again. And again. Tim. (laughs) This is my friend, Tim. And together, um, I'm, I'm the Vox, he's the ology, and together we're the podcast. And so <laughs> that's how that works. We're so excited to be able to spend a, a little bit of time with you today, whatever it is Do you that remember you're doing. the Wonder Twins from like the... Absolutely. The Super Justice League cartoon. cartoon? Yes. Yeah. Another reference, those under 45. Um, that is well, old. Yeah. Oldie, but giddy. Yeah. We need what we need is just a, a um, what's the what's the generation behind millennials at Z? We need a Gen Z person to just come on with a buzzer. What's next, Gen A? Do we start back? Do over? we start over? I don't know. That's a great question. Because we started but, at X. That was a faux pas to begin with. Well, dude, but X was cool. X was cool, and we and it and still is. I mean, let's just be honest. But maybe we need a Zer. With a button that that um, simply says, "Okay, um, enough." A dated cultural reference button. Yeah, you know. I don't know. I think we're pretty aware. Well, are we? I only brought that up because I feel like I should make us a sticker or a shirt that's you're in my head on the Wonder Twins bodies doing a. <laughs> <laughs> what well, one of them was form. One of them was a bird. Right, he could, well, they could form all change into their, an animal. I think they could all change, yeah, something. Yeah, no, no, they, they couldn't. Monkey. They couldn't both do the same thing. One was a form of water, and one was a was an animal, maybe. So it would be like a bird carrying a bucket of ice cubes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But they would form into which <laughs> the perfect powers. Know. Yeah, exactly. There's a small fire over there. Don't worry. I will turn yeah. into a bucket of ice water, and <laughs> my brother will be a bird. Here's an otter with a bowl full of water. Yes. <laughs> Well done, Wonder Twins. But speaking of Wonder Twins, Timothy, how are you this week? Anything big going on? Anything capture your imagination? Oh, boy. Um, I sent you guys a meme. I think memes are the real truth tellers of our time. <laughs> what did I send you guys yesterday? I liked it. Oh, oh yes. Because it had to do with something that we had been talking about in the podcast. Where's our text thread? There it is. Um, oh yeah, someone shared this. This guy named well, I won't say his name, but a pastor uh, tweeted, "The God that you serve is too wise to make a mistake and too loving to be unkind." And some dude just responded, "Our source of light gives us cancer, dude." <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was funny, and but also like, yeah, like if your if your weird theological statements can be disproved or at least unwound with something as simple as like uh the sun gives us cancer dude mm-hmm. it just makes for an interesting conversation just with yes. platitudes like just with how we just toss platitudes out into the world totally totally but i have a i have a new segment for us and it's and it's a little it's a short one but i think i love this i don't even know what this is but tim bringing the segments well i i like this kind of stuff a lot and my favorite musician in the whole world is tom waits who probably most people haven't listened to, but he collects weird and unusual facts. And really? so when he's on a talk show, he always shows up with a new strange fact. And I'll use them in the classroom all the time because they're just weird, interesting things. So this segment will be called Strange Stuff. Strange Stuff. 
This morning on the radio, I heard, I'm going to ask you a question, but this isn't the fact yet. This is just a precursor. Okay. This is like, okay. a, this is a primer. All right. Um, a gold nugget, a pure gold nugget, the size of a matchbox. If yes. If you flatten it, how big does it get if you flatten it all the way out? So a gold nugget, pure a gold, gold nugget, the size of a matchbox. Um, and flattened it paper thin. Yeah. I'm going to go with um, half of a football field. That is exactly what the person guessed on the radio this morning. Really? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's funny. That's the exact guess. It's the size of a tennis court. Ooh. So it's pretty much about that size. But I thought nice. that was interesting. But this is the weird fact. Oh, that. Have hold you, on. What? Why isn't that a weird fact, too? It is a weird fact, but that was just kind of like a, that's just a bonus. This okay. Is, this one has a biblical tie-in. Oh, nice. Okay, let's hear it. All right, so there's a... There is a psychological disorder called bone thropy in mm. which human, a human believes themselves to be a bovine, so a cow or some kind of a cow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the, it is believed that King Nebuchadnezzar uh, is sometimes attributed with bone thropy because of the description in the book of Daniel, which said he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. Mm. So I'd never heard of bone thropy before, but I thought it was interesting. It's a true thing that there are people who believe themselves to be cows and that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was believed to be one of the first documented bone thropic wow. individuals. And that's from Tom Tom Waite? No, that's just from me. I'll share oh, it. You okay. want to hear a Tom Waite's one? Sure. I mean, you're I on fire. This, well, I use this in my class. I Maybe I've said this in the podcast before, but I thought this was fascinating. So I tell kids, like, we can do strange and unusual facts as they can do it in an informative essay and research the history of it because, like, something like blood is thicker than water, what that phrase meant when it was oh, first yeah. developed to what it means now, it changes like a game of telephone through history. Yeah, yeah. So um, saying something is like a spitting image of somebody or whatever. So mm, mm. There's, a, there's a phrase called um, a dead ringer, right? And what does a dead yeah. ringer mean to yep. you? That someone's an exact copy of yeah, somebody like you look at your dead ringer for so and so. Yeah, but the origin I, I of get, that phrase, I get that. I, I get that um, about Harry Styles all the time. I see it. The dead ringer. We were Sorry, playing Harry Styles last night in the house. Well, I, all I'm saying is that's that's relevant to Generation Z. You're, dude, or maybe Generation A. Yeah. So a dead ringer originally was. Um, people were eating food off of lead plates and it would cause them to go unconscious and seem dead. And so their families would bury them and often people would wake up in a coffin and they would start scratching, trying to get out. They were buried alive. And so people would dig them up and find them now dead for real because they were buried alive with scratch marks inside the coffin. So they're like, this isn't good. So they started tying <laughs> strings around their fingers that go up over a tree with a little bell on it. And so no. if you were in there and you woke up, you could ring it, and that was a dead ringer. Are you serious? Yeah. You're making this up. No, isn't that great, though? And then that somehow is... between that period of time, whenever that was, to now, it has changed from that to saying you're a dead ringer for somebody. So this is a new segment of just weird facts. Yeah. All right, and you gave us three. I know. I won't give you that many every time. No, I mean, I listen, I'm, I'm smarter than I was five minutes ago. <laughs> I love weird stuff about humanity. There's just these odd things that kind of give us the flavor that we need. Oh, totally. And speaking of flavor, bacon flavors everything. It's true. 
You know, it's part of the joy of being bovine. <laughs> or is that pig? That's pig. <laughs> Maybe the bovine enjoy the pig. I don't know. I'm an idiot. All right. Well, uh, Timothy, I have to say that was a rousing success. Was it? We'll see. And and <laughs> are you going to give people it? Are like I fast forwarded the last five minutes of the podcast. <laughs> um. Hey, we got a couple of things before we dive in. All right. So we got a couple of things this week that we need to um, uh, say. You know, mention here on the show. It was Ladies' Week over at Patreon. Oh. Um. Yeah. I mean, and I. I frankly. I just want to shout out the ladies, particularly Heather, Serena, Rebecca, Jennifer, and Karen. I want to say thank you so much for coming on uh, the Patreon team. As we always mentioned, we are a crowdfunded 501c3, which means everything that is given is tax deductible. Um, but it also means we are listener supported and um, not ad supported. And so thank you. Yeah, for and they, if you join generous. Patreon, there is a Facebook group, a closed Facebook community, uh, and a couple of those ladies immediately were on there, like sharing and asking questions and oh provoking conversation and stuff. So it was pretty cool. Good job, ladies. Way to represent, ladies. Um, so thank you, thank you for that. And then we've got a couple of. I mean, I I I just beg you for grace on getting back to emails because there are just hundreds of them. Um, and so we, we, you know, we get through maybe one or two an episode and, and they're just so, I mean, to, to respond to some of these, you know, via email, I don't even know where, where to start, but there are such good questions or issues that are always coming in. This one, um, as we're recording this, we're, uh, I think in almost a month, into the uh, Russian aggression against Ukraine. And we're all, well, uh, I, I don't know all, but most of us seem um, unbelievably surprised at the Ukrainian leadership and the spirit of the people and the you know defiance um, against kind of a, a more technological enemy um and so and 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 this you know ukrainian president has just provided symbolic leadership that is you know beautiful in contrast to the grilling of our latest supreme court nominee um <laughs> that's just political theater and obnoxious political theater at that so uh but we mentioned um i think last episode or the episode before just about what, what do we do with putin and and precatory psalms and and then some someone brought up the the very obvious and real comparison to uh, the questions that surrounded hitler back in the day i'm currently listening to your three march 21 episode in the first part of the episode you were talking about the moral dilemma of desiring ill for putin or to love one's enemies isn't that a dilemma that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrestled with as a member of the plot to assassinate Hitler? Uh, do those same ideas apply to the question of Putin? So, first of all, great, great stuff. Um, and yes, I think there are, there are obvious parallels to um, the, the, the set of questions that were surrounding. Um, there were loads of German Christians that seemed to capitulate. Um, 
Uh, and some even went so far as to provide sort of spiritual covering for Hitler's actions. Right. And, and, and there does seem to be a similar dynamic in play between one particular head of the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, uh, but, but there were other Christians who really wrestled with, well, you know, do you, if we can prevent greater evil, is, is our responsibility to do yeah. that? And so out of that, you know, Bonhoeffer had this very, very famous, and it's reflected in some of his writings, this very, very famous dilemma. And he was part of an assassination plot and so on and so on and so on. And so I think those ideas still apply. Absolutely. Particularly if you're in Putin's inner circle. Um, but, but even for us, as we talked about, you know, praying imprecatory Psalms or wishing him evil, um, you know, my, my posture is, um, when Jesus talks about, you know, non-retaliation, when, when someone insults you, um, do not compete with them in evil doing that's in the arena of personal insults. That's not in the arena of warfare or, um, geopolitics or you know even police or military um and so i don't i i don't have a great answer if i were in a situation like bonhoeffer um i can't imagine jesus of nazareth ever um commanding us to take another life i just cannot envision a scenario where that is true i can envision scenarios where it, it perhaps would be permitted um uh, whether it's in self-defense or, or in a situation where if America were being, um, you know, invaded, let's say Red Dawn, and we don't have Patrick Swayze anymore, yeah. that's another, that's the buzzer. We need a Gen Z buzzer right there. 19, what was that? 84, 85, Red Dawn. That's right. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Well, that's a different movie, Tim, but that's a Patrick yeah, that's, Swayze quote. That's Swayze. So... That's doubly obscure. So and they're there would both be a, in both movies. A loud, yeah, indeed. But I'm just saying, like, there'd be a louder buzzer for you. Oh. Um, if we were, Red Dawn told the story of America being invaded by the Russians. Yeah. And, and I, can, I can envision if I were a Ukrainian Christian, um, uh, actively resisting yeah. um, to protect my family, my country, my neighbors, uh, because when Jesus is talking about non-retaliation, it's talking about when you are insulted, not your neighbor. And I think there, um, there are all sorts of strategies of creative goodness that we can invoke, whether it's praying in front of oncoming armies or the, that, that individual in front of the tanks in Tiananmen Square or the protests that brought down the Berlin Wall that yeah. started in Czechoslovakia, right? There, there are all sorts of strategies for creative goodness that don't have to involve violence. What I think Jesus would call into question is the fact that we don't, we don't think any of those other solutions are, are realistic or work, and we have all bought into the myth of redemptive violence, that the answer to bad people is by eliminating them through violent means. Right. And I just don't, I don't see, obviously, a speck of that in Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I don't know how that informs government policy or whatever, right. but personally, um, I, I can only imagine in the most extreme cases of self-defense ever, ever using deadly force um, against another person, even in opportunities when I've had to use force to help break up you know, scenarios where people were being harmed, that force was very defensive sort of in nature and right. not um, aggressive in nature. And so, I don't know. I, and I know, my goodness, I know this raises just 
cans of worms upon cans of worms. And I'm totally okay with us disagreeing about all the particulars. But I do think Jesus calls into question the automatic human response of harm for harm, pain for pain, eye for eye, and tooth for tooth. Um, and so, like we said about the imprecatory Psalms, I just don't want to be the kind of person that their only recourse in seeing evil done is having evil done to that person. Right. I want to be, I want to be more imaginative than that. Yeah. Well, it kind of feeds into the roots or the, uh, symptoms and, um, symptoms and causes or whatever. Symptoms and roots, my friends. Cause the, uh. You think when you talk about like the immediate retaliatory thing, at least with the personal, it makes me think of like the, you know, stand your ground laws or mm-hmm. um, the only thing that stops a bad person with a gun is a good person with a gun. And, you know, that's a symptom thing where it's just back and forth and back and forth until, you know, that's Gandhi, you know, yeah. eye for an eye until nobody can see. Yep. Um, and then you're like, well, how do you change the root cause of gun violence in America? Uh, it can't be just retaliating against it or escalating both sides until, so there has to be a, a root cause that it's, you know, changes the course of that. When it comes to warfare, I don't know what it is. I was, in, you know, it was interesting though, I was thinking about with Zelensky, if he is in some ways modeling the turn your other cheek, you know, the standing up and demanding mm. respect kind of thing, like yeah. we're not going to let yep. you. Yep. And And then shaming the Western countries into providing aid to protect yeah. innocent civilians. It's an interesting, he's played a really interesting, he's provided a very interesting narrative to this whole yes. thing. One I, I'm sure that was based on my, you know, extensive geopolitical knowledge. <laughs> one that I'm sure was unexpected. Yeah, I would, yeah. I mean, he was like, <laughs> you know, one of the headlines the other day was like, Netflix is reinstating his comedic something or other movie you know, and it's like, oh yeah, he was a comedic actor. Right. Right. Yep. So great question. I'm sure many more to come the longer this goes on. Um, this one, Tim, you, a comment you made raised Uh-oh. this question. I thought that I might get some of those. So I love that. Um, Mike and Tim, thanks so much for challenging podcasts. I've been listening for several weeks. Um, I am a career missionary. I came to faith in college and have been discipled to think both apologetically and polemically in regards to my faith. Now, apologetic doesn't mean I'm sorry, but it means kind of the intellectual rationale behind the faith. It does when I say it. I'm apologetic. Yeah, well, yes. Yes, you are, buddy. Um, (laughs) And maybe that's the best way to be these days. You know? Um, But I've learned early on to deconstruct others' worldviews so that I could point them to Christ. Over the last few years, I've really been wrestling with some of the foundational teachings that I've never questioned about my faith as I see incongruities between what I thought it meant for people to walk with Jesus and how I've seen it being lived out at both my church and in my mission organization. Boom! I've had a number of moments of deconstruction, reconstruction, panic attacks as I see the overwhelming number of topics Uh, that I see a need now to revisit. I think I'm I'm coming to a more centered approach myself as I see lines that I previously would have eagerly drawn and got praise for. I was a good line drawer. I see those lines gradually disappearing. 
A couple of questions pop in my mind as I think about the centered set perspective, though. One, when you are talking about playing soccer, who determines the rules of soccer? In other words, there have to be some lines, don't there? For example, there are things that are true about Christology, and therefore there are things that are false about it as well, right? Would you draw a line there regarding who teaches and what gets taught at your fellowship? Help me understand that one. And then secondly, Tim suggested that we should do away with missions trips. That's a hard one for me to swallow. Paul seemed convinced that faith comes by hearing and that this happens because people are sent. I'm wondering how you reconcile missions and evangelism. Can you expound on that? So my goodness, dear questioner, what a wonderful, wonderful thought-provoking set of questions. Let's tackle number one first, um, which begins with um, who determines the rules of soccer? Now, um, in one sense, um, the group determines its own rules, right? So, so we could play a soccer game with people who are very new to soccer where we don't distinguish between indirect kicks and direct kicks, or we don't call off sides because it's a very confusing rule or whatever. Um, and it's an so, important rule, though. Huh? Offsides, it's an important rule. Well, it, yeah, it is. No cherry picking. Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> have you watched much soccer, Timothy? <laughs> I played a lot. Well, see, there you go. Offside's very important if you're a defender, not mm -hmm. so much otherwise. But point being, in one sense, um, people are all going to have their own definitions of the center and can modify those definitions you know, as things go. And that's why we have so many denominations and so on. But in another sense, um, the center gets defined by the authoritative witnesses of the Christian tradition. Like that Christianity is an inherited faith. It's not just a faith we get to sort of riff on um, outside of any boundaries, you know, as we encounter modern challenges. I mean, so I'm thinking of places like uh, Philippians 2 or 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul in particular is quoting um, authoritative teaching that he's received and passed on. And he uses those very technical words uh, surrounding the the passing on and receiving of authoritative tradition in a technical rabbinical sense. Like received and passed on were a, a, a official words that you would use uh, upon uh, taking something. And that's why those little bits uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 or in 1 Corinthians 11 or in Philippians 2 are indented uh, because we recognize there's something blocked off about that authoritative script that has been given. And so I do think that the, um, insofar as we can discern the teachings and voice of Jesus and the, um, the earliest definitions and affirmations of what Jesus is and what he did and who he is and what he was, uh, I think those provide the bounds for which you know, uh, the Christian faith resides within. Now, the big point we made with Mark is that you can use those lines in a bounded way or in a centered way. So the issue isn't in a centered approach, whether or not you have lines, because we're always working to clarify the center. That's why we did a whole episode on who is the Jesus we're talking about, because every group's gonna come up with their own. So we wanna be, insofar as we are able, We've got a couple of, of, we've got a stream of tradition that is sometimes helpful and sometimes needs to be deconstructed as you yourself are doing. We have a stream of experience, 
We have a stream of uh, creeds and doctrinal formulations that were you know, put together uh, in some cases, in a very few cases, by the earliest followers of Jesus, and then hundreds of years later by creeds and councils and so on. Uh, and then we have the scriptures. And this whole sort of mix, um, and you can weight those in different ways, sort of forms for us the cultural milieu of, of what it is that we understand um, Jesus to be saying and how it is that we interpret his words. And so in that mix, there's an appropriate humility that says we could totally and absolutely be wrong, um, particularly when weighed yes. against thousands and thousands of other takes and denominations. And that's a big thing too, especially with what a bounded approach looks like with excluding people. Yes. Holding a posture of humility within your understanding of things is... Yes, and, and that's one of the ways you discern a bounded approach versus a centered one. Totally. Um, so, yes, I, I absolutely think there are lines, and there are agreed-upon rules of soccer. Now, like I said in, in, in the beginning, there I may lessen those rules or, or you know apply them more strictly depending on circumstance. Yeah. But um, to play soccer is to play soccer. To follow Christ is to follow Christ. And so we go to great lengths to talk about the Jesus that we're following. Yeah. Because there are instances where certain affirmations would not be true of him. Like yeah. if somebody just said, listen, I only see him as just a normal dude who got misinterpreted by his followers and they invented a whole religion. Yeah. No, I'd really disagree with that take. Now, yeah. but, but the point is, would that person be welcome in the community? Of course. But then you raise the question, would they, would they be able to teach that in the community? And I would say, no. No, we are a community that follows Jesus and here's who we mean by Jesus. And there are all sorts of other communities out there. Hallelujah for them all. But this community, we're going we're gonna to follow Jesus. And, in, and this is how we understand him. That's, that's absolutely a critical part yeah. of uh, the center Jesus set. Jesus defines the Jesus gets to define Jesus, yes. Everything. Yeah, the Jesus. Yeah. Not the Jesus from Lebowski. <laughs> the Jesus of Nazareth. All right, there's another buzzer. <laughs> Um, I should have my dryer buzzer going off. I need some sort of dryer buzzer. So I'll put, in a, I'll put in a little ding. So, so I think that is a super important question. We're not saying that stuff doesn't matter at all, but when it does, and I think it does more narrowly than most Christians apply it. I think the, the, the lines defining the reality of Jesus are much, uh, I think that's a smaller list than I think most people want to say that it is. So you read doctrinal statements and they have, you know, well, we believe in the um, in the rapture of the church, and we believe in the um, you know uh, the the literal six day creation or whatever. And you're just like, I just don't see that as the center of the faith at all. Yeah, I see First Corinthians 15, that first set of affirmations, is kind of the center of the faith. Um, and so, so yes, there are lines, but how they're used is what's at issue. Yeah. Are they used to exclude or they are used to provoke curiosity? Of course I would guard who would have voice in a church fellowship as opposed to the podcast. We've brought people on the podcast that we don't agree with, for sure. Yeah. And certainly we'd bring, we'd bring people uh, into our fellowship to have them teach that we don't agree with, but we would certainly agree with on this. We would be aligned in the center. We may not be aligned on all the particulars that flow from that. Yeah. So that was the first question. The second question, Timothy, uh -oh. how dare you? I know. 
Okay, so we'll, give us some context for your missions trip. Um, we shouldn't do missions trips anymore. <laughs> hot takes. I was telling my students that I want to teach a class next semester called Hot Takes and Hot Cakes, where we just eat pancakes and talk about controversial topics. I'm in. Hey, that's a good name for a church, by the <laughs> hot way. Hot Takes and Hot Cakes? Yep. Uh, we were talking about Christians who showed up at the border and were meeting um, Ukrainian refugees and, with kind of a gospel, you know, like you just need Jesus message uh, in the midst of their you know, entire world being upturned. And I find that repugnant. I'll use that word. Whoa. Uh, And so when I said we should do it with mission trips is in the context of saying, Hey, look, spending all this money to send people over, especially because we were having a conversation about what it means to be saved. And yes, uh, yes. As we did the new creation series and the sermon on the Mount, it really called, made me question what evangelism really is because our understanding or, the way that we have been conducting ourselves for at least a couple hundred years is under this, like we've got a, a secret, a code word that can get you into heaven. If you don't have the code word, you're going to go burn for eternity. And so we have to do this thing where we go share this code word, but there's a bait and switch to get the code word. So sending (laughs) missions, missions trips, I'll just, let me just dig the hole deeper for myself. I was going to go in the other direction, but I'm just going to continue down the path I'm already on. Um, missions trips, my experience with missions trips is they're largely for the kids going on the trip and rarely are they for the community in which they are visiting. That's been my experience. And I think there's other ways of doing discipleship that aren't at the, um, that aren't at the disadvantage of other folks. Now, is that, I don't know that I'm necessarily speaking to missionaries, but I think missions trips could be uh, restructured in a service-oriented thing that is less about trying to save people and more about trying to help people. And that's why I referenced the, mm. uh, do you know, when I was hungry or when I was naked, did you feed me or clothe me? Not like when I was hungry, did you um, try to give me the secret code to get into heaven and then leave me there still right. hungry? Right. So I don't know, a missionary, it, I, I don't know what this... Um, individual that emailed in does for missions work. I would never try to offer judgment to that. But if you're out there and living amongst people and building community with them and, and helping them create a centered approach life and that kind of stuff, I think that's great. And that, and you're, and you're digging in and spending all that time living with people. I think that's wonderful. And maybe mission trips could be kids going and serving the, the ministry that you have already set up. Maybe that's a, a different approach, different conversation, but um, just running out there and trying to have a savior complex. And this is coming from somebody who has a terrible Messiah complex myself. <laughs> well, and I'm if they see what you look against. like, they'd understand. Yeah, there's a reason my hair is this long and I'm trying to look like <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> White Jesus coming through. Oh, no, Tim, I think that's so good. And... Uh, and I'm so thankful for this question, particularly asked in the context of somebody who is doing this. Yes. So the the issue, I don't think, is missions trips per se. No. But the issue is how they've been conceived of up until yes. this point. Yeah. So um, so here would be theological questions I would have. And plus, real quick, don't let me... I'm not trying to blanket statement all of it. I'm sure people are doing wonderful jobs. Let me push that through my experience and reacting to 
people at the border that were yeah uh, um, yeah not offering aid but offering whatever you want to call that <laughs> <laughs> no that totally makes sense and and Tim I I really agree with you I mean I I went on spring break trips to share my faith I yeah. like sharing your faith I learned apologetics I went to grad school in philosophy I was going to teach in a you know um, just an academic institution uh, I mean I'm all in um, but <laughs> but here are like Here's my here, modern apologetics. Here I'm are the sorry. things. Yes, here are the things that I'm. I, I really would call into question on some understanding of missions. Not all, but some. Yeah. Um, first of all, um, I think w the overall posture of mission being something that we go do instead of mission being something that is part of our identity yeah. is is really difficult. So to go do mission somewhere else with those poor people in non-reciprocal, non-mutual, non-learning environments, we're coming as the rich white people and we're coming yeah. to fix or to bless or to whatever. Man, I think that creates a, a hugely... Um, damaging dynamic that has been documented in in a number of books uh, that really call into question American understandings of charity and missions work. Number two, the message that we're sharing with people I don't think accurately reflects the message of Jesus. That's what, part of what you were getting to. Yeah. Thirdly, I don't think Paul envisions individuals going to other parts of the country or the world as individuals just telling people and then leaving. Right now, Paul does that, and so the immediate pushback is, "Well, yeah, yeah, but that's what Paul did." Understood, but he was commissioned as an apostle; that was their job. But secondly, he was a church planter, and that's where this really gets. I want to get very nuanced because I don't see. And and if you go on uh, to your questioner Tim Gombas's podcast, he has uh, a couple of uh, interviews about the Great Commission that are super, super yeah. fascinating really interesting we have we had him on here too so if you look at our back catalog we have one um with tim about the great commission that maybe could provide some other context but um the idea that 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 we're coming um and and bringing with us a message about about jesus that doesn't intersect with the real aspects of human life and again this isn't everybody but this is some people right. um i just think does massive disservice to what it is that jesus actually preached and paul's conception of that preaching was that it was done that that witnessing was done in community and that the witness the corporate witness was the reality of the church it wasn't people in the church going out and telling people about the faith it was yeah. the the example of the table fellowship that was countercultural with people who had no reason to belong together against the social order and hierarchy of the day. That was the proclamation. Remember, Paul only says that we proclaim the Lord's death. He only uses that phrase one time, and it's in reference to the Lord's table. That's where we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, is in that sharing that common meal together. So, um, so issues I would have would go along the lines of A, the fact that mission that 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 we are witnesses to the resurrection rather than um, uh, missionaries, I think, is a really important distinction. When we're witnessing to something, um, we don't have to go anywhere else to do that. Yeah, 
right? That's just, that's just, it's, 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 it's kids who won't ever say anything in their school, but yeah, you put them around some poor people and sure they'll be bold. But as you say, who's that really for? I mean, that's for the kids. And we have numerous examples of, of, uh, overseas organizations that have just come back and said, you've done much more harm exactly. than you have, than you've done good. Secondly, it is, it, it is, puts us in a position of superiority that I think really erodes gospel dynamics. Paul, right. to the people he was reaching, always came assuming a socially inferior position. That's why he will call himself a slave or a servant. He'll refer to himself as the chief of sinners. He's always assuming the lowest position socially. Yeah. And very often what we do in mission trips is just the reverse. Yep. We assume the highest position, like they need us and what we're bringing, as opposed to we need them, right? But even the us and the we, yep. right? And the them and the they, that already creates dynamics that just aren't gospel dynamics, right? The gospel, the gospel levels the playing field. Now, again, I'm only describing some. I'm not describing all. So if you're somebody who's like, well, yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. Great. We're just pointing out that not everyone understands missions the way that we do. Yeah. And we think that's a problem. And we actually think the greatest place for missionary work in America is the American church. Yeah. <laughs> right? I don't think we have any, any moral authority to be sending anyone anywhere about how to do it. <laughs> yeah. But think, it pulls everything into context because it's, you have to, and this is what caused me to have this whole, you know, ramble or whatever in the first place was just that. I don't know as we as we come into question the heaven and earth and versus the heaven and hell and and what Jesus came to do and why Jesus had to die right we had that podcast episode that riled some folks up um and trying to understand all of that cuz all of that is why you go on a missions trip you're going to preach this good news and to get people to you know convert to Mm -hmm. these ideas but if mm -hmm. i don't understand those ideas or if they're much bigger or, or drastically different than what i thought well then that i mean that whole thing gets has to be reassessed like what is it that jesus is and that's why i said that in the last podcast was like what does it actually mean to be an ambassador of jesus on this mm -hmm. planet mm -hmm. who is jesus what is it that he's asking what was it that he was demonstrating or modeling and then what does it mean to be an ambassador of that what does it mean to be an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven yeah. I don't think that's what it is. Yeah. Um, so what does it mean? What, well, what and, does it mean to be the ambassador? And and here's, let's, let's push that even further, let's Timothy. Let's do it. As Gambus has said, so say we all. No, but this is actually something that's been said for years, that the, all the imperatives in the New Testament are directed to the church, not the world. Now, the response that our questioner anticipates is, yeah, but how will people believe if they don't hear? Yeah. And, and so someone needs to, to tell them. Um, and, and my response is, no one ever says the telling has to be some prepackaged announcement that's separate from the formation of a community that witnesses to the reality you know, of the risen Jesus, no question about that. And and I do think it involves certainly teaching and ideas, and you see that with Paul in Acts 17, right? He's He's got a polemic to him where he's talking about, hey, you guys have all sorts of altars, but here's an altar to an unknown God. Let me reveal him to you. Yeah. 
right? But but there is um, I I trust Paul with that more than I trust me with that yeah. um, because there there seems to be a um, a, a, a the idea that um, I'm to take the good news and I end up Americanizing the good news. Um, and I end up Americanizing what church looks like. And so if you're not careful, this can be very much a, uh, the creation of something that will, that will itself have to be destructed or deconstructed, you know, down the road. That's why I said it was like, I think I said something to the effect of like, this is idolatry, but yeah, in this case, we're the idols. Right. Yep. So I just think, man, uh, I think the focus of the church needs to be on getting its own house clean and that is mission work. Yeah. Now, dear questioner, push back galore. So we will look for we will be looking for your email in the mountain of emails and we we want push back cuz we're just kind of riffing off of things that we've experienced or understandings that we have. Would love to hear your thoughts. So thank you for trusting us yeah, with this question. You. We love we absolutely love um when People are like, eh, I'm not sure I buy it. Because the goal isn't that you agree. Yeah. The goal is not at all that you agree with us. The goal is to provoke curiosity and to simply say, hey, maybe this thing's bigger than, yeah. than what we heard. That's all. That's all it is. Yeah. Whether you agree or not, great. We had a guy, oh, this is the best. This is, this is a guy from, he's a pastor. And I just, Tim saw his email this morning and it said, um, it said, while I've often wanted to yell and argue with you because you tend to paint certain people, groups, and theologies with too broad a brush, on the other hand, I've learned so much from listening to you two and the people you've interviewed that I cannot afford, that I cannot continue, that I can't not continue to listen. Yeah. So, man, what a great, what a great thing. Yeah, of course. Of course, we're screw ups, and of course, there yeah. we don't always appreciate nuance, and we're learning. I would will continue to remind people that I am only trying to be a disciple, and I am fumbling forward in the dark, trying to learn and grow as much as possible. So most people are listening to me wrestling in real time with yeah. stuff, which just happens to be not just between two people; it happens to be between a few thousand more. Right. And it's so, so fun to do this with you all. Now, back to image. Back to image. Yes. Um, we're, we are telling the salvation story of the kingdom. And so when Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of God is near, um, that, that brings to mind um, an Old Testament story that isn't readily apparent to a lot of us Americans. Or Westerners, anyway. And uh, upon um, that, the telling of the kingdom story, words like saved, grace, faith, and works take on different flavor than they do in the you're a sinner, Jesus is perfect, God demands perfection, Jesus substitutes for you in your place, and you get to go to heaven. When you die, um, elements of that story... I mean, I do think Jesus in some way was a substitute. Uh, That language is all over. I don't get it. And I don't think it was the angry father lashing out at the first person he could get a hold of. And the the son saying, well, hit me, father, don't hit them. I don't think that's at all the story the Bible tells. 
the Garden of Gethsemane seems to be a little bit different. Yeah. That's part of the fl- bl- flesh and blood of Jesus that I'd love to, yeah. Indeed. Ex- explore. Yes, 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 yes. So, so there are parts of that traditional story um, that we can attach Bible verses to, but I don't think it captures the, the huge narrative epic flow of the story. And so we started in the book of Genesis looking at the word saved, right? It is by um, grace you have been saved. And so, okay, what does it mean to be saved? Well, for me, that, was all, that always meant being saved means go to heaven yeah. and avoiding hell. And, and that has to do with my soul. That's a story about what happens to my soul when I die, as opposed to the story I think the Bible is telling, which is about what happens to me as an embodied soul, um, even if that is the right term, as an embodied human, or just to be human is to be embodied. Uh, and what does salvation mean in my embodied state? Um, is my salvation separate from what happens to my body or is it included? And as embodied creatures, and as we looked at in Genesis, we are the image and likeness of the invisible God. And so we are to image him. And that the whole way of life is conceived of as a mode of life called worship. That, that the human was to, go, to take care of the garden, to work it, that those are worship words. That it, the psalmist in Psalm 8 talks about that vocation as being crowned with glory and honor. That we are the honor of God and the glory of God and our vocation as image bearers. And that the Old Testament ends not with the question of how are we going to get these sinners saved, but the fact that the, the, the humans don't image the one true God. Um, Adam and Eve did not image God. Israel did not image God. And so God now sends the one true image, his son, Jesus, um, to image God and, and, and the only one to do so perfectly. So um, Jesus, in his salvation, of course, there is forgiveness. No question about it. No question. As part of our uh, swapping out of our vocation, we have sinned. But the sin isn't the root issue. The sin is the symptom of the root issue, that we've, that we've become idolaters, that we no longer image the one true God, we image things within creation and find our identities in those things. So, so it's not just enough to say that human beings are sinners. It's that human beings have lost the vocation they were entrusted with. And as a result, sin. Now, Paul affirms this understanding when we get to Romans. And, and the reason I'm using Romans, A, Gombus just did a whole series on it that was mind-blowing and wonderful. B, it's always been the book that's been used to describe salvation in the traditional way. In the, you know, Jesus, you know, the Romans road is the, hey, you know, you've fallen short of the glory of God. um, And the Romans road goes on from there. And so it's fascinating to me that there are these parts in Romans that pick up the, the image story that we kind of miss. And so between uh, Beverly Gaventa, Timothy Gombas, um, Scott McKnight, N.T. Wright, among others, there are just some things that have been totally eye-opening for me. And the wonderful gift is I get to share them with incredibly curious Timothy with a bunch of us participating and overhearing the conversation. So, yeah, yeah. 
when we get to Romans, and, and Gombus, man, if you're up for it, he just, it's masterful. It's a master class, but it's seminary level, and it is, it is thick, baby. You got to sit there with Romans open and chewing well, on he it. Made a, he made his own, like a Word doc. Yeah. Translate. I just reprinted it. I haven't listened to the series yet because I've been waiting to oh, be able man. to sit down with the text that yeah. he has yeah. so that I can be really intentional with it. But he made that available to people too if they wanted the yes his like his kind of his translate he's writing a commentary yeah so he translates some words differently and yeah but he does it without the chapter numbers and verse numbers yeah. and, and yeah. so it's you know anyway he's just doing great work but um as we all do he channels others and so what i do when i hear something from him is i i i text him and ask him who he's channeling and then i go kind of read those sorts of things. So all that is to say, this, this is not thinking original to me. I think everyone knows that by now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like the English channel, a very large body of water. So that's who you are of the wonder twins form of you're the water a large one. body of water. <laughs> all right. So let's get to Romans. Now, when, when we get to Romans, the first thing that Paul does and, and man, Gombus, Oh, he's so great at this. Uh, McKnight also wrote a book called Reading Romans Backwards. And um, Walsh and... Oh, yeah. Kismet? Yeah, Kismet wrote a book on Romans, and we had them on oh, like Romans Remixed. I think it was something like that amazing. And then there's Reading Romans with Eastern Eyes, um, another book. Uh, that I would recommend. And so there's all this great work being done in Romans. And one of the things that all this great work points out is that is that the issue in Romans isn't, hey, these people need a systematic theology. The issue is we have two groups of Christians who are despising and judging each other. And that, that Paul is creating unity. So in, in reading Romans backward, McKnight says, you start with the application and the application helps you understand the argument that gets there. So the problem that's being addressed is you have Roman house churches that are at odds with each other. And so Paul lays this massive theological foundation showing that that these groups, neither of, of which are superior to the other, both in their fallenness and in their justification. Yeah. All right. But so so I'm not going to track that big argument, right? Gombus and McKnight and Wright and others do that. But as they're making and showing Paul's argument, they observe things about the text that have to do with this glory image story that that the Bible is telling about what it is that is to be saved. And so um, in, in Romans, there are callbacks to the Genesis 3 narrative. Now remember that the humans were made in the image and likeness of God in Genesis 1, and they were invited to rule. That's what it means to be an image and likeness, is they are royal participants in the reign of God. Yeah. And their job is to image God to creation and to image creation back to God. That's from N.T. Wright. Now, this, this works well uh, for one chapter. But then in chapter two, we get a, a, another understanding of what image means. Because instead of royal language, now we get priestly language. 
that the human was to work the garden and take care of it. Um, but there are scholars that point out that worship and obey are actually better translations of the Hebrew there because they're used in the book of Numbers as, as to describe the work of the priests um, in the tabernacle and temple. And so there, there is this royal aspect and this um, priestly aspect to the human vocation. Um, instead of guarding uh, the garden and taking care of it, we have a talking snake that arrives. As and instead of, instead of imaging Yahweh to the talking snake, the, the, the humans take on the image of the talking snake when they choose to obey the snake's wisdom rather than Yahweh's command. Right? So all of a sudden there's an exchange. The, the humans were to rule over the fish and the birds and the animals. And then it very specifically says, and all the things that move along the ground. Yeah. And then something that moves, I guess, maybe not even had been moving along the ground because that was one of the curses that come later. Hmm. But some sort, of, some sort of talking thing, some agent of disorder and chaos comes into the garden. And instead of imaging Yahweh back to that piece of creation, they submit to its wisdom and thereby image it. By taking so that's, the fruit. Is that what, what N.T. Wright's saying by imaging creation back to God? Yes. So the idea is, I mean, take the, the word image. So we are made in the image of God. We are to be um, living, breathing, embodied specks of the character and nature and mission of Yahweh in the world. And we're to do that with creation in view. This isn't about our individual souls. This is about the flourishing of creation and bringing forth its potential and the human community um, growing and expanding to cover the whole earth, right? This was the expansion of the Garden of Eden to cover all of human civilization that had been around at that time, but with a different emphasis and a different focus. So um, does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So when we get to Romans, there are a couple of exchanges that Paul references um, with Genesis 3 in view. And so he says in chapter 1, verse 21, for although they knew God. Now, Gombus thinks Paul is using a formula that was common um, called almost an indictment formula, a, a list of complaints against the Gentile nations. He, and he's using this with a very uh, polemic purpose in mind um, that serves Paul's greater you know, rhetorical purpose for the book. So we're not going to get into all the deets here, uh, but the they is, um, in this sense, is to be understood as um, Gentile Christians okay. or Gentiles. I shouldn't say Gentile Christians, but just Gentiles, the descent of humanity in diagolatry. So Paul says, uh, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like immortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, they've exchanged the glory that was theirs that Psalm 8 references 
of their image bearing to now image things within creation, whether it's imaging them and their agenda, whether it's imaging in those days, there were statues that were just carved of animals like the golden calf, right? In the Old Testament. Bone therapy. Um, so you have you have people who are always uncomfortable with an invisible God, right? Even, even when the Romans sack Jerusalem, they mock the Jews because they open up their temple and there's no God there. Right. So, so we've always wanted images of the invisible God. Um, and the only image ever given was human persons. And then because they became corrupted, the perfect image of the unseen God, namely Jesus. So notice Paul speaks of an exchange where we exchange the glory of the God, which we participated and shared in for images made to look like created things. So we're now, do you see what he's using that, that whole strain of thought to talk about how we don't have a sin problem we're now imaging, we have an idolatry problem. We're no longer living according to the mode of life that is called worship. We're now living in the mode of life called idolatry, which is destructive to human bodies and it devours ultimately itself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that, that is a massive, uh, a massive point. And then he says a similar thing in verse 25. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Now, the worshiped and served language, where did we just encounter that? Back in the beginning. That's a Genesis 2, my friend. Yeah. Right? So Genesis 2, we were to worship and obey. We were to take care of it and serve the garden. Now we're worshiping and serving something that is a part of creation rather than the invisible creator who is to for be forever praised. Amen. Yeah. So do you see how Paul diagnoses the problem? Yeah. The problem isn't that we're sinners. The problem is that we failed at our vocation. And I would imagine our understanding of sin is a repercussion or like a byproduct or a that comes from that, right? If yes, yes, yes. Towards... No, let me go on. That's a okay, great point, sorry. Timothy. Right. Shut your face. Sorry. That's a great point, Timothy. You're anticipating. I'm anticipating. Inerrantly, where this sucker's headed. So when Paul gets to Romans 3 and this very famous statement, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All right? Now, it sounds like the glory of God is like a thousand righteousness points. Yep. And Mike Erie is at about eight righteousness points. <laughs> So I have yeah. fallen short, <clears throat> very short, of very short of the righteousness points. Somebody even questioned the eight. I'm just going to namely my family, but um, so this this whole strand of scholarship, um, he says, "fall short" isn't the best verb or way to translate the verb there. It's uh, humans have sinned and lack the glory oh. of God. So not fall short of, although fall short, if you read it in terms of lack, it makes sense. Sure. But if you read it in terms of, oh, well, God's got this thing and we all we all miss it. It's like, yep. so I remember someone describing sin like a Grand Canyon and, and a long jumper may be able to jump longer into the Grand Canyon, but they still fall short. I may just, yeah. you know, plop over 
the edge without even jumping, right? And so, and so, so that, that cross-shaped was, bridge falls. A cross-shaped down bridge, yes. I've used that. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and so instead, what Paul's talking about is all of sin and lack the glory of God. That is, and what's that mean? We're not image bearing. We failed at our vocation. And to fail at the vocation in the Bible is called sin. Sin is failure. Sin is missing. Sin is coming up short, right? So the sin isn't the individual moral trespass. The sin is the failure to live out the identity and all of the destruction that comes yeah. When we image created things rather than the creator. And we see this, right? With sexuality, we see it with money, we see it with violence. We see it writ large all over our world. And if we're really honest about the human heart, my heart, not just anyone's heart, my right. human heart, it's writ large there too. Yeah. And so the transformation isn't from sinner to non-sinner. And we make it seem that way, that the goal of following Jesus is not to sin. Yeah, to be converted. Yes, yes. Instead, Paul is going to argue, the goal of salvation is the restoration of the human vocation. And, and, and that vocation is worship. Yeah. That the, vocation the, is image set. bearing. What did you say? I'm sorry. It's being center focused. I was yelling. Well, that's an aspect of it, no question. But I mean, when you look at that posture of what it means to image, because I, when I think about the, if you're focused on those bounded, whatever, I don't want to detract, but keep going. Well, and one of the things we image are, are the human attempts to control the unseen exactly. God through religious yeah. activity. And then we become the arbiters yes. of like what is right what yes. is wrong what is everything and then we the destruction that reaps from us playing god or trying to eat whatever you know you can right. see how those different exactly. postures exactly. Different focuses yes yes um people always image in real life remember imaging isn't like my personality image right. is human the whole of human life sex work play sweat blood tears relationships um, the whole sphere of human life is the arena for image bearing, yeah. not just religious stuff. All right. And because of that, the, um, the disaster of idolatry um, and wrong image bearing is manifested in all spheres. Yeah. That's why Paul has this very interesting quote and Gambas makes hay with this thing. <laughs> and I found it absolutely fascinating that idolatry always plays itself out in the human body, always. And Paul has this very famous list of, uh, that we take to mean, hey, look, everyone's fallen into the Grand Canyon because we've all fallen short right. of the glory of God. But um, Gombas is, is asking us to notice the body parts that are mentioned in this list of Psalms that Paul strings together, right? They've all turned away. They've together become worthless. No one does good, not even when their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery marked their, mark their way of life and the way of life of peace they do not know. Now, that isn't, that's what happens when you exchange 
the glory of the invisible God, the vocation given to us as full humans for a lesser vocation to image something in creation itself. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there, oh, go ahead, buddy. Well, I was going to say, how did did you phrase that before you read the scripture? I don't know. About it manifesting or or within the body? Yeah, yeah. This is always embodied action. So image bearing is embodied. It's not just what you think or believe or sing. And so is idolatry. So, mm-hmm. so you see the corruption of the human body. And that's why Paul gets into degrading human bodies with each other and talks about sexual sin. And there's this famous illustration of um, same-sex gendered erotic behavior as an illustration of the degradation of human relationships. And we can get into all of that stuff down the road. We always make that stuff the focus, the vice list that comes in the midst of all of this. But I just find it fascinating that that really isn't the focus of the text. The focus is on the exchange and then downstream right. of that exchange of identity and, and conception of our vocation, you have the mess of the human body. Yeah, it's right? the symptoms and roots again, but just- Always. The, yeah. So, so what, is, what is the consequence of being, um, of imaging mammon, right? Money. Well, um, let's say that you neglect family relationships. Yeah. And you're estranged from your family for the sake of work. All right. So part of your image bearing um, to, to the God Mammon is now resulting in embodied relationships that are dysfunctional and unhealthy. Right. Yep. Totally. So, so, or I'm image, I image a certain view of sexuality that just sees pleasure as the highest good and using right. people for that. Right. That can't help but play out, play itself out bodily and in yeah, social totally. dynamics. Yep. Totally. All of those, yeah. You can just like just for fun play those seven deadly sins out, and just yeah, you know, just as a as a model of yeah, an exercise, and you can see how those things play that. Yep, absolutely. Which now this sets up this whole thing sets up Paul's huge exhortation that I've always and perpetually misunderstood until recently. In Romans 12, when Paul sorts of shifts from the building blocks of his argument to sort of exhortations. Now, let's read this now with all of that context in mind. So what's, notice, what is salvation for Paul here? Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and pop- proper worship. Never understood what he's talking about there, but notice the combination of things, right? Offer your bodies, right. plural, as a singular sacrifice. So you're doing this as a community. Yeah. Oh, so good. And the sacrificial language harkens back to Genesis 2, garden language, and to the worship and serve language Paul just used in Romans 1. Yeah. And then notice that is holy and pleasing to God, um, this offering of our bodies. Now, offering of our bodies has nothing to do here about my soul trusting Jesus for my eternal destination or accepting King Jesus in my heart. Right. Worship here is an entire mode of human existence that yeah. includes and is focused upon my body. <laughs> right? And this is your true and proper worship. And then he talks about the mind. Do not conform to the patterns of life 
in this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, for mind, mind here doesn't just mean brain, like learn new right. information, right? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So we read this as, oh, yes, go to church and sing some songs. Right. <laughs> Got to get back to church. Oh, but do you see how big that is? And yeah. then, then you get to 1 Corinthians where Paul has an entire freaking chapter on the fact that resurrection is resurrection of human bodies. Yeah. Right? It's not just the soul going somewhere. Right? right? But if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, what Jesus, what God did for Jesus, God's going to do for everybody. The whole universe. This stuff's all weird. Will be resurrected. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Why did Jesus' resurrected body still have the wounds? Because, as Paul says, it is contiguous and non-contiguous with uh, the former body. It's animated now by the spirit. So he'll, he'll use the word spiritual, which we think means internal uh, regarding right. religious things. Spiritual and versus fleshly for Paul in this chapter, I think references two animating features the flesh the animation of this age this present age versus the spirit which is the animating spirit of the human body in the age to come hmm. so so for jesus you could recognize him and not recognize him you could he could show up in locked rooms and that's yet still had same scars i have no idea no idea and it's yeah. all guessing but that's pretty that's really interesting though but Paul, Paul conceives of salvation as embodied salvation, yeah. right? And this is totally consistent with how the whole Bible ends, right? When, when my favorite chapter in the history of any book of any, uh, any author anywhere in the world is then I saw a new heaven and new earth and new heaven and new earth here, the word new doesn't mean brand new. It means renewed. Made new. Or yes, it made new. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth, first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. That's a call back to Genesis 1, where the Spirit of God was hovering over the chaotic waters. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, dressed, uh, or excuse me, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, a beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. He will dwell with them and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more crying or death or pain for the old order of things. Even the old order of humanity has passed away. Now it's a new order of humanity. He was seated on the throne and said, I'm making everything new, which is the greatest cry in the history of the, of the world. And then in chapter 22, as we describe, as the author describes a renewed Eden, it says, and they will reign with God forever, which is exactly the Genesis 1 vocation. Yeah. So what is saved, Timothy? (laughs) Well, it's a whole bunch of things. Yeah. It is the renewal of the human vocation, which includes A, forgiveness it includes deliverance because one of the things we didn't get into in romans is that paul conceives of sin and death as powers 
that we have unleashed. Oh, yeah. And, and those powers enslave us. And so whatever salvation means has to include forgiveness. It also includes deliverance from the powers and the principalities. It includes transformation into the image, right? Notice Paul in First in and Second Corinthians is always talking about being renewed into the image of God. What's that mean? Yeah. It doesn't mean like we're like God in his personality, although it includes that. It means we're restored to the image bearing, which like includes- now we all look like Ewan McGregor? Yes. Is it coincidence that Obi-Wan Kenobi and Jesus were played by the same person? No. <laughs> so that's how big and wide. So it's transformation, it's deliverance, it's forgiveness, but it wraps the entire sphere of human life back into right relationship with create with creator, creation, and yeah. other image bearers. It's a lot. So that's why Paul will say, you have been saved, you are being saved and you will be you will saved because it's all of that happening always. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, that section of scripture is a very interesting, uh, to be used as a, um, like a gospel text. Like if that was the good news, the way that you presented to right. people rather than, um, a perverted version of a certain verse earlier. Uh, it's an interesting picture. Like this is what we're all moving towards. This is what we're talking about. This is our understanding of what God intends and wants to do is this reunification. That's and, right. And That's right. Being made new. And I mean, totally. it's a, it's a really interesting, I'm so, I, I listen back to this when I'm editing and I say interesting like 50 times a podcast episode. And I'm, I'm not just bugging somebody, but it's driving me nuts. I need to well, then let's stop. Let's use fascinating. Fascinating. Intriguing. I, think I say that a lot too. But Intriguing. It's, a, it's a beautiful, um, full-bodied proclamation of, of what it is that God's trying to do rather than um, right. a guilt and shame, bait and switch totally. thing that we have uh, totally. been our mode of transport for so long. Well, here's what it does for me. Just personally, and this is a this is obviously stuff that's been you know uh, working its way into my brain, heart, soul, whatever right. for years. But it's it's given me a conception of human life that is so different from the go to heaven and avoid hell story. Yes. So that now, like creation, does matter. Um, yes. All of my parenting matters. The way I treat other yes. image bears matters, and and, and not, um, and, and even how I understand missionary work or evangelism or Bible yes. or church. I mean, it reconfigures the entire operation, so yes. that now the goal is to live into the new vocation rather than try to work my way to it or just stop sinning. I found that when it, when my image bearing. Is, is progressing in my real human life in yeah. all of its facets, I, I don't sin as much. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. But Man, that I is about never that this morning the point. Before you did this, and I, now I feel like it's like a weird. Uh, I was like praying this morning. I was just like, I get it. I get, I get these. I understand how this missing the mark, getting caught up, the repercussions, all that kind of stuff of sin. I, I see it in my life. I understand it. 
It makes perfect sense to me. Um, and, but I was just like, but to what end? Like, <laughs> right? You know. And so it's if just, we're it's, already forgiven, then yeah. why not? Well, and uh, well, yeah. So that brings up other pieces of scripture that are interesting. But it's like it, it, uh, just what you're saying. I see the full. I see. It's more compelling because I can see the full embodiment of all of this. I'm not doing it, but like you said, when I am, I, I and and all the it's like a clock, right? All those gears start to move together, and the clock starts to operate the way it's supposed to operate. And when when it's not, those gears are grinding against each other, and the clock is malfunctioning. But when I really see all those different embodiment things you just listed, when I see that in my physical life, my day to day, I do see a posture that is, I don't want to say it's rewarding because I think that's the wrong terminology. I I feel Hmm. a a more full bodied healthiness. Yeah. Yeah. Is that that a way to say that? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so anyway, that, that, if you tell that story, do you see how that fits in the kingdom story? Yes. The kingdom story, right, is that we were made to live as ambassadors and representatives and co-rulers of the king. Yes. And that specific vocation manifested itself in certain ways. That's since been corrupted. And now in Jesus, as the true human who images God, we're being renewed in the image of God. And you can see how this can only be done in community because I am incapable of it. Correct. On my own. Only only done in community. Why? Because we're imaging a God of community. A communal, yep. A communal God, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think you said that last episode. And I, I think I put that as the Instagram soundbite. Um, nice. But it's such a good, I mean, it's a, that's a, a simplified way of really communicating this whole idea. Right. So here's what we're going to do, Timothy. But you know what? You can't do that on a missions trip when you leave after three days or a week. (laughs) Well, we have, as part of our church, we have a young lady that lives in Kenya. And she, now I'm going to get this wrong, but what she, what I want to say she does is she does legal work, but I think it's actually medical work. When you say she's part of your church, your church in Tennessee, she yeah. she's not there physically. She she was she was Jewish. She because of the witness of our church community, she accepted this Jesus without pressure, coercion, or manipulation. In Kenya, like watching it online or No, no, no. physically and okay. then moved to Kenya. Gotcha. To provide either legal or medical resources. And I, I'm, I'm an idiot because I should know, but I don't know it off the top of my head. But is committed to living there and and for the good and flourishing of the people, regardless of whether or not they accept Jesus, quote unquote, or not. Now, if that's what we're talking about. I think so. I'm all in because I want to do that in my neighborhood. Yes. So the and fact that there are some people may, want to do it in yeah. Japanese neighborhoods or yes. in Kenyan neighborhoods. Perfect. Yes. yes. Great. But yep. it's all the same vocation. No one's yes. going on trips to do something different than what we always do. Right. We had Sky on, Jitani, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago, and he came on to talk about the theology of vocation. Yes. And it was a lot of that. Like mm. what, all, these, all this rhetoric about vocation and calling 
and that we use God, I've been called to this, God called me to this, but there are certain things that God has called all of us to. And in the way that that kind of stuff is manifested, yeah, sure. Maybe that is going to another country and living there and, and embodying this in a group of people. That's amazing. Yep. I don't want to, I, uh, none of my missions trip rant was in any way directed towards that. Yeah. I was just thinking of her because she was such a compelling example. No, I think that's a great example. To kind of the, you know, and there's a story about why there and I mean, and she's a remarkable, remarkable young woman. I mean, unbelievable. Or we had, we had Katie Davis majors on years ago. She oh, was yeah. somebody in Uganda who had adopted, I don't know, it was a 17 lot. kids or, yeah. or something. And it, you know, so that sort of embodied and enacted loyalty to Jesus in local contexts that aren't American. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I can speak and rant about it all day. Those are folks that are yeah, doing it. Yeah. Yep. I just want to say we don't have to go anywhere to do that. I totally agree. Anyway. All right, friends, what we're going to do next episode, unless something, you know, crazy happens we're going to talk about the negative side of saved what are we saved from if it's not specifically a heaven story and hell story then then that raises the natural question what do we do with all that judgment language all that hell language and we've talked about hell before so it'll be bigger than hell but it's how do we conceive of wrath um in this story and what is being saved from that mean yeah so nothing controversial there it'll be great (laughs) and again the goal as always dear friends is to to not agree but to provoke your curiosity to study it yourselves we know there are loads of people who disagree with this nonsense and often i one of my great um weaknesses and i have many i'm only an eight on the righteousness scale that's right um is that i can i can i use hyperbolic language when i get Mm -hmm. fired up about something and so that pastors you know hey sometimes you paint broad brushes absolutely absolutely no question about it so we receive all of that um as people who are as tim said stumbling along but we're just uh, the goal is never to just impose new sets of dogma on people Um, but it's to explore and wrestle and question and pursue curiosity together. So towards that end, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace. Amen and amen. Till next time, friends. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us